when the great Los Angeles-based artist, writer, and podcaster Kimberly Brooks invited me on her show, I didn't anticipate that about a million people would be watching it on Zoom. And during the broadcast, the great Canadian painter Janet Werner asked me a bunch of questions. Shane Anise Dambrot from White Hot Magazine and LA Weekly was there and asked me a few questions. And I've talked about White Hot Magazine, I talked about my paintings chronologically, and we had a generally interesting conversation. So this is a broadcast that was originally done for Kimberly Brooks Fireside Chat. And you can enjoy it here on the White Hop Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. The segment is hosted by Kimberly Brooks. Welcome to a rare but recorded episode of a fireside chat where I, Kimberly Brooks, sit by a fire and interview artists about their work. If you're listening to this recording and haven't attended a live event yet, you can get an invitation to the next one at firstpersonartist.com. So my guest today is Noah Becker. Noah Becker is an artist and publisher of White Hot Magazine and the newly launched White Hot Magazine podcast. Noah and I talk about his early series of heads. We talk about his use of mark making and street art within his recent landscapes. The art critic and author Shana Nizdambrot joins us for a discussion about NFTs. We talk about when and how he launched the magazine. We took questions from the audience and then we entered into a profound discussion about his inspirations and thoughts about making your work about nothing. Without further ado, here is the Fireside Chat. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. I'm actually sitting by a fire, you guys. Looks awesome. So is everybody good? Somebody said to me the other day, how was your pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's kind of like a good, like it was like a vacation you know, from all your friends and people that you love. Wow, Noah, you're popular. What do you mean? You got to We have a lot of people here. Oh, that's, we have, all, we have that's probably of, you. No, we have tons of painters. And um, it's just very exciting. Well, yeah. hello. Hello, painters. I, mean, I like I like painters. Yeah. I'm going to ask everybody to turn off their camera and mute themselves. And then I'm going to let Noah have the floor while I grill him on his work. Just kidding. Wow, we have a full house, man. That's you, Noah. I think we're going to begin. I'm thrilled to be here with the painter and publisher, Noah Becker. We're going to spend the first 20 or so minutes, I'm going to, we're going to talk about his painting and he's a painter. He has also is a musician, which I recently found out about. And then we're going to talk about the adventures in publishing. And then we're going to open it up to Q&A. So we will have time to do Q&A and you can ask Noah any questions you have. So, hey, Noah, thrilled to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I've been following your work for a long time. And also I've been in your magazine as a painter. And I've also 
am a huge fan and you're one of the last great you know the last important art magazine standing because there used to be so many and now there's just like four i think that what you give back to the art world by offering a vehicle for conversation and dialogue is so important so i'm just super grateful and i know everybody else is and we're just thrilled to have you here i wanted to talk with you about this portrait this is many heads that you created right mm -hmm. what was the tell us about this series because I, I mean i was deep in your website earlier and today and mm -hmm. i've been poking around and i'm i was so impressed with the way that you capture um shadows and mm. light and everything and the subtlety that you have here what was this series about I wanted, I wanted something to look artificial, like somewhere on, somewhere on the edge of being a real person and being a mannequin. So you don't know if it's like, almost kind of like uh, that sculptor, what's his name, that does those hyper-realistic uh, sculptures, hyper-realistic sculptures of like clean, a cleaning lady. Charles Ray. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I kind of, yeah, well, actually Charles Ray, but then there was someone else that's also in that area. Dwayne Hansen. Yeah, Dwayne Hansen. That's there right. we go. Thank you. Go. Somebody remembers. Yeah, like kind of like a Dwayne Hansen sort of feeling where it's, yeah, and a little that kind of, um, where it's kind of sculptural and a little bit rubbery, mm -hmm. but also a painting at the same time. It's just masterful and I love the way you did the hair and everything I mean they were based on British hair model photos oh, cool so it was like the 1960s sort of guide to hip hairstyles <laughs> fantastic I got this idea that like the idea of something being dated in a painting like if you do something right now it's kind of hard to see the identity of 2021 but if you do something that maybe is from the 1960s, 1980s, 1990s or something, there's a little bit of a, there's a kind of a historical, there's a historical mood, there's a mood to it. And I mean, let's say somebody was looking at it in 500 years, it's kind of hard to distinguish 1980 from 2021 in a certain way. Even though you can, it's like, there's a definite mood that's easier to pinpoint if you're trying to do something very specific in the mood of something. So these were very kind of more about mood than anything else, I think. And the glasses are kind of a giveaway as well. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I have this friend who's a stylist for all the big actresses in Hollywood. And we have this discussion about the collapsing of distinctiveness in fashion and it goes with everything you know like it used to be where you'd look at something and you could see it was the 70s was the 70s the 80s is the 80s and then eventually it became where it it started to flatten i think with globalization but there still are like i think we hang on to the periods where you can go oh well that's the 50s or well that. it also it also yeah. ends up being a little bit humorous because the hairstyle is like you know it becomes like a kind of a mannerism in the hairstyle instead of a mannerism in the in the figure right where the right. neck is ex extra long or something like that this is like the 
the hair is kind of exaggerated. I have a question for you. You know, remember when John Curran first started uh, and veiled his portraiture that was very much like from a decade earlier in the 90s, but it was really kind of referencing, it was like the 70s or the 80s, wasn't it? I think so. I mean, so. wasn't he like a decade ahead of what when he was doing that, that in the 90s? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never asked him, but I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's possible. He was talking, when I met him, he was talking about American painting versus European painting and the idea that um, no matter how many paintings we make that are inspired by European art, we'll still be American painters and kind of spiritually represent Joseph Cotton in the stained white suit in the bar in Casablanca or one of those movies, mm -hmm. you know, like this sort of, foreigner interested in European painting. So what I like about this painting is that it's not entirely, it might have more to do with British painting than Italian painting or, I don't know. You know what I mean though? Yeah, yeah. Let's go to your more current work. That's a great picture of you, by the way. And, and this is the picture, by the way, these are the other heads from that exhibition. Yeah, that was that series. That was a nice series at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great picture of you. I know we could spend an hour talking about the connection between music and painting. I mean, I'm a musician also. I play piano and, uh, or I should say keyboards, but it's really classical piano. But did you, how often do you play now? I just have to ask. I'm going to start getting back into it more, but the pandemic has kind of closed off a lot of the concerts. Right. I was playing performing? quite a bit in, I was performing quite a bit in New York before the pandemic. No kidding. What, mm -hmm. in what kind of jazz mostly? Yeah, like places like the Village Vanguard and those sorts of you know, oh, like. So cool. Yeah, jazz, yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. When were these, these are kind of large paintings. They're four by five feet. They're the size of what's behind me. Yeah. 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 Well, this actually, this one is bigger. This is four by five feet. That's 38, yeah. 36 yeah. by 40. This is my favorite ratio. I like four, I like a four by five ratio, but I, th I find that this is so much in line with right now, there just seems to be kind of this movement, this surrealist movement re-entering the art world conversation and you're right smack in it, whether you meant to do that or not. I mean, I wanted to know what, what are these paintings about for you? I mean, what oh. inspired them? And well, that one with the baby kind of was inspired by a Gauguin painting. Like sometimes I just run out of ideas. So I sort of get inspired by a painting that's already good as opposed to- I'm trying, trying to, to remember, I'm trying to think of which Gauguin painting. There's some landscapes by Gauguin where where it has some colors, some somewhat like that. And then I added the other parts. I, I don't always like to work from photographs. And if I'm working from photographs, I like to kind of um, bring them into the context of a painting mm -hmm. so that it's not just, here's the photo and here's the painting of the photo. And then the street, the, the street art on it just it, it airlifts it into this extremely contemporary conversation about mark making and leaving your mark and it just makes it something else. Entirely. Well, 
I would be walking around the lower, I'd be walking around the Lower East Side in Manhattan and I would see all this graffiti on the wall and I started to really enjoy it and want to kind of integrate it into the images that I was making because I was kind of seeing it around me all the time. So it felt like it should be part of what I'm painting. Were you inventing your own tag, like mythical tags? I started out by doing things that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And then people who made the tags started threatening me and saying like, why are you stealing my, my work? You're kidding me. No, for, no, for real. So now I make, I make them up based on other tags. I don't actually use the name of the people because I didn't want to get attacked at my opening. Oh my God, wait, did that actually happen? Yeah, that did. Oh, sorry, one sec. Oh, these cell phones these days, they have a mind of their own. Oh, I want to throw mine out the window constantly. <laughs> By the way, that's such a great story. I wish, I wish, I feel well, like- Well, no, it's actually not a great a Netflix story. show. No, I mean, it just seems like somewhat cinematic. You know, it's, to be at an art a, show and have a tagger come up and say, God yeah. damn it, I'm going to kill you, bro, right. dude, or whatever. <laughs> it's, le it's less funny when it's when it's directed at you, but I see where you're going with that, yeah. It, no, you must have been shocked. Um, disappointed, because the actual tags are not other people's work. It's sort of the equivalent of, like, somebody who created the landscaping saying that I'm stealing their landscaping or something like it's just it's just part of a painting you know that movement of decay porn or you know or those beautiful um I can't remember the name of the photographer that does those interior of theaters decay porn um, yeah are you talking about my hairline no no <laughs> Okay. No, I mean decay porn, like, you know, people who go to Detroit and they take pictures of old theaters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I, know I, I called it decay porn when I, right. you know, many years ago. But also there's another photographer who exhibits more at the photo shows where you're, where you, he takes beautiful high, high, like Ansel Adams resolution mm. photos of the interiors of buildings. Someone is saying Candida Hoffer, but I, I think there's other artists that are on that. Yeah, and there are uh, many artists that do it, but I always think to myself, so you're selling this edition for this print for 10 grand or whatever. And mm -hmm. the, the work is really the work of the architect and the designer that right. made right. that thing. It's just, right. it's kind of an, I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, where do you draw the line? Well, right. well which was the painting that you got in trouble for? Oh, just all, all any of them that had tags or or graffiti based on living artists this is i love the palette of this painting i love the raccoon on top mm. and everything i mean it's just this one actually kind of started as a rothko and then oh i can became, see that became kind of had realistic elements added on top of the rothko yeah and now this one i just flipped out over it sort of reminded me of Rosa Loy's, you know, a little bit. Oh. Like it had this combination between Picasso's black and white period where he would create those really insanely delicate shades of color with using many colors and underpaintings and whatnot, but he would call it a black and white, you know? 
this has something to do with the human exhibit at the zoo. Oh, it's great. Is that what it's called? No, no, but, but that's, that's what I was thinking of was like that it was like the like, you know, when they have like things in a kind of a artificial built contained sort of and then they have like the gorillas or the polar bears or something <laughs> so with, a, with a moat around it. I yeah. thought it'd be interesting to kind of do something that had that feeling, but it was like a human container. So good. Did you draw those black marks in I the did. afterwards? I did. What ended up happening is I put the painting into my phone and then I drew those black marks with my finger in my phone. Uh-huh. And then I liked them. So I really I carefully repainted them in black to kind of it's look amazing. Like, uh, look like they kind of look like um compute you know they have the sloppiness of like when yeah no it totally i mean that's actually kind of an amazing idea to do was, that where you recreate the act of doing something with your finger i mean well, I, I was just trying to make do make notes i wasn't actually trying to render anything and then afterwards i was like oh that really kind of freshens it up a little bit it does freshen it up thanks. i think it's great thanks yeah we had Sharon Butler mm. last week. Do you, I mean, last month, do you know Sharon? Of course. From Two Coats of Paint. And she makes these abstracts and they originate in her phone, but of course then they become these delicate, mm. amazing abstracts. <clears throat> but I've never seen them. You you know, that just is a great idea. Tell us about this one. Oh, well, this one, this is actually based on a Hannah Hoke collage she was the first one of the first dada collage one of the first collage artists and it's very similar to her original collage some people say it reminds them of hans belmer but then on the same token it's a little bit like a marionette but then it's also kind of like gets a little bit weightless when it goes up to the arm it's almost kind of um floating at the top yeah, but I want to know about this fight you almost got into. You, you're, you're getting into so much trouble lately with the tag well, and now the people on Facebook. What'd you say? I didn't say anything. I just posted just for painting this. They thought this was misogynist. I guess so. I, I don't know. Yeah. I just I blocked them. Good. Other people I value more didn't say that. <laughs> this one is sort of a combination of a Brancusi head and a Picasso sculpture that's had breasts added to it. And then some kind of dark colored stones on either side, almost like kind of a gateway or something. And then some graffiti on top of that. I love this one. It's a little bit about the, uh, you know, when you see a business that's, that's shut down. Yeah, I've been seeing and a then, lot of when it closes all of a sudden there's all these tags and graffiti over the front door mm -hmm. and it's almost in a way like the business they know nobody's going to be repainting the building or going in there using the business it's almost kind of just closed or irrelevant space dead space and then this was my like I thought I would do that with art history like imagine if art history was just over and then people started tagging on it kind of like one such of such a closed, great idea closed yeah. businesses yeah I don't know if you intended it but in the background here these there there's a feeling of Lascaux's cave painting going mm. on with the handprints and oh. so I don't know if that was intentional, but I just feel like it is the history of art is closed. Mm. Yeah. I was uh, just trying to do a texture. 
this one is interesting. It's another almost kind of like human zoo, mm -hmm. and it's based on a 50s pinup. The figure is based on a, on a 1950s pinup, and it's in some collection somewhere. Um, I'm not sure where the original is, but, but it's got several multiple point perspective coming from coming from high horizon line with a couple of perspective points coming from either edge. Is this painted, did you tone the canvas and then? Yeah, uh, I toned it. It's kind of like a poor man's linen. Uh-huh, because I love the neutral background coming through that you left open mm -hmm. here on the bottom. I think that's really great. Thanks. And the way you capture tagging it with oil paint is pretty remarkable, I must Thanks. say. I mean, I think the feeling of it is more important than kind of rendering it exactly. But you get it. You're doing it, mm -hmm. you know. And then, of course, this I've this who's the artist that does the um, table? Alan, Alan Jones. Right. Right. Who incidentally is quite a good painter, too. Oh, really? Yeah, but I mean, this is just like integrating something from art history into a landscape. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of the Close Encounters mountain in the background. Mm -hmm. Doesn't, something that just, it doesn't entirely take itself seriously. Yeah. It's not a full on joke either, but it just, there's sort of something absurd about it. I wanna now go up to a series that you did here with the skulls. Oh yeah. Because this was before I, that. Yeah, I know this was before that, but I wanted to know what what led to this series. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And because you you know your current work has so much of art history, you know, you're referencing so many artists and art history coming through it. But I feel like this is sort of an important stepping stone on the way to that body of work that I'd like to talk about. Well, this is a little bit more like if the canvas was a field and things are happening in different quadrants and it doesn't necessarily have a beginning middle and end or a horizon line or up or down it's just kind of it's just an it's just a zone almost like a screensaver or just a blank a blank area um, I spent a lot of time with Frank Stella and he was talking about ways of making paintings and um, that came into play somewhat in the in making this. And there's also a lot of collage in mm -hmm. it. Like well, you all created, of it. you created a collage, but this is all painted. It looks like it's collaged and painted. Mm -hmm. Like those sort of emanating um, patterns mm -hmm. are taken from the op artist the British op artist, Bridget Riley. I love Bridget Riley. I was about to say Bridget Riley. She's one of my absolute- And then the dots are mm -hmm. Bende dots. They call mm -hmm. Bende dots. Mm -hmm. um, and they sort of go in different sizes. And then the skulls are just taken from the internet and sort of put together. And the piece that you, the, the, the article written about it references Malevich, which I thought was really, interesting Malevich is a super important artist to me and I know that I think we have Shana Niz Dambrot in the house and she was just on your podcast talking about Malevich mm. and I was wondering wait is Shana here 
Shana, you, you're welcome to join in on this conversation if you want to get up on stage. Like I'm treating this like now seriously, like a clubhouse with video. <laughs> and here she is. Wait a minute. Um, you guys are hilarious. Mm. <laughs> but um, I do just want to say it's true. Like there, there's a dynamic that I've been thinking about a lot, especially with those art history clothes for business paintings of Noah's that I'm also obsessed with that has to do with art history's role in the present moment. And I find it really inspirational as somebody who bothered just, you know, to get a degree in art history that right now, you know, everything from like, you know, current meaning and who is depicted and by whom and decoding, you know, narratives and, you know, how colonialism is embedded into things that we thought of as the standard without interrogating them. But also like over on Clubhouse, everybody's freaking out about NFTs and there's art historians in the room going, Salouit. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, I go around telling people art history is your friend and it's sort of like my new motto. And so, yeah, that's just my two cents on this portion of this amazing conversation. But, mm. you know, I, I'm personally obsessed with the idea that, you know, art history did kind of have to die so that it can live again now. Yeah, but is Beeple the the midwife? I, I don't think so. No, I think he's the epidural. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for Shana. Hey. <laughs> that was, you could just drop the mic and go now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's go back before we go into NFTs because I want to know Noah's take on NFTs, and I think it's sort of a really well, nauseating discussion. Talking about Beeple, I was a little a little taken aback by an article that I saw in Artnet. I think it was Artnet, where Ben Davis was, went through all of the thousands of images of Beeple that was sold for sixty three million dollars or whatever it was, and a lot of them are just terrible, racist, sexist, like horrible, just the worst you could imagine well i mean i i'm sort of obsessing over the environmental impact of um nfts like right. you know apparently it takes all of the energy of luxembourg to mine one bitcoin now like right. i mean you know it's just so it's just such an energy sucking system and it's hard for me to are you by the way well so are you going to make one how do you feel about it i have a show opening that i was invited to participate in in new york that's opening on april 15th where it's going to be physical and nft okay so is it so, you make a companion piece for your no it's actually the physical art is going to be mm -hmm. just offered as an nft at the same time so we're not we're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything digital. It's just I'm showing like five drawings and then images of the drawings will be an NFT. But we're kind of going against the grain because we're sort of forcing them to also buy the physical art if they're going to buy the NFT. We're not just offering a JPEG or something like that. We're trying to bring real like Donald Bachelor is in the show. I invited Billy Zane to be in the show who's like an actor and an artist. Mm -hmm. And um there's a couple other people in the show that are really interesting, uh, really good artists, really famous artists. So we're just like trying to buck the trend a little bit. 
That's really interesting. Did are you curating it? No, but I know the curator well enough that I was able to suggest a few people before the. I think that's a really compelling idea. I know one artist that made a painting and then made an uh, burned it and then so that the painting no longer exists. And then the image of the burnt painting is the NFT. I, I mean, mean obvious, yeah. obviously, to, to bring up your point earlier, obviously, I mean, personally, I don't want to ruin the environment with with art and I don't want something imposed on my art sales that destroys the environment. Yeah. So that I find that very problematic. Yeah, I that's that's I'm I'm having an issue with that as well. Like I I think that's a huge problem. And then of course, well so I put it on the invitation, but I do think that there's this idea that the original big huge sale for Beeple's work was paid for with cryptocurrency. Yeah, I mean, I don't try to be an expert on it, but I have a podcast for White Hot Magazine on uh, App, Apple and Spotify, which you're a guest on an episode. Yes, yes, I um, love being a guest on that. I'm show. just going to plug my podcast. Well, well, we don't we can go all the way and I can <sighs> even um, pull up the White Hot Magazine because I think your podcast right. is really important. It's one of my favorite art podcasts. And then is it, and so to plug your podcast, let's talk oh, about- Oh, well, if you go on the side where the ads are, if you mm -hmm. go down a little bit on the magazine, see there's a little, you can mm -hmm. go straight to the podcast through there. Right, yeah. Just through White Hot Magazine. Yeah, let's talk about this amazing thing that you created. I mean, it. you just started the podcast, what, two months ago, was it? Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. And you've been really prolific. You've had, how many people have you interviewed? It's been about, oh, over 20 at this point. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I get all the credit, but actually Shana and I were having this discussion in the podcast that I did with her on, on there, um, on the White Hot Magazine podcast. And it's been a lot of work by a lot of people. And I've worked with a lot of people like Shana and other writers and, artists and it's been a kind of a collective effort do you find it a pace that you can keep up with or are you going to start to relegate them to once a week i went through a kind of a populate the podcast phase so it was mm -hmm. actually something that had a lot more content mm -hmm. and now i'm slowing it down to more to slower slower yeah. pace you're like weekly maybe maybe something yeah. like that the yeah. next the next guest that I'm having on is uh, is going to be a big surprise. Oh, I'm excited. Museum director. Oh, that's very exciting. Wait, let me guess. Not Michael Govan, not Kate, not Pastor Ann Pasternak. No. All right. I'm not going to guess anymore. Tell us about when you started the magazine, because it was around what, 2012, maybe? No. 2005. 2005 oh that's amazing yeah it's like 15 or 16 years down you there. were on the bleeding edge then was it ever well, it was a weird time and i wasn't in deliberate on my part i just happened to start wanting to create a virtual art magazine on the web when a lot of newspapers were going out of business because people were reading their news online yeah, but 2005, that hadn't really happened yet. Was there was no Facebook. 
There was no, yeah, art, there was no Instagram. There was there no was Twitter. No artsy, no Instagram, no Twitter. None of, there were none of those online art websites. The one website that I found to be a great inspiration was Artnet at that point. Mm -hmm. Which Artnet. has also changed tremendously since you right. created this. Artnet was really the only, and then a lot of the people that were working with Artnet at the time ended up working with me when Artnet changed hands and then they went on to other places. And a lot of the writers that I've published have gone on to write for a bunch of different major magazines. Art so it's been a bit of an, it's been a bit of an airport. That's such a great way to describe it. How do you find writers now? They come to me usually. I don't advertise for writers. It really varies that sometimes people will be writing a book for somebody and have an excerpt from a book introduction that they want to publish somewhere online that's like not just kind of doing their own blog and mm -hmm. I might like it or there's a, a million different circumstances for how a text might end up being published. Mm -hmm. How do you personally compartmentalize the act of the editorial work that this takes what like, you, how, what? like like personally do you say okay i'm going to devote this day of the week or this time of day to field or are you just more like a gunslinger and people kind of toss you an article and then you say well i have people working with me now people you that are you have a team i do now yeah i didn't always but yeah. i do now it's incredibly impressive some of the heavy lifting is done by other people now for me yeah yeah oh that's great that but it's still to. a lot of a lot of effort i mean yeah. init the initial um inspiration and structure for everything was was warholian to begin with it was based mm -hmm. on the warhol model of the founding of interview magazine and mm -hmm. the warhol art practice and other performance art things going on and social scene around and then after a while it just became its own thing and it wasn't like but i need that was kind of like my template was the mm -hmm. founding of interview magazine yeah that's but, how i felt about the huffington post when i started yeah. it but that was in 2010. Yeah. and yeah. so then i had to kind of abandon the warholian script because there were other other things going on but when i went to nada art fair and i had a booth there i looked around at all the art dealers and i realized they had been following their own warholian script at least in 2007. Mm -hmm. everybody had tight pants and pointy boots <laughs> i didn't have tight pants and pointy boots at that point <laughs> i'm still getting there that's so funny i'm still on the road to tight pants and pointy boots we're i mean we're all aspiring to it i just need to lose a little more weight right um well i think this would be a great time to open it up to questions so i'm going to ask everybody to turn on back on their videos so that we can see the audience and uh if you have a question just raise your hand and we can get this conversation going. I think Daniel Maidman's in the house, who's an old friend of both of ours. Any questions for Noah? I think I see Shana raising her hand. Okay, Shana, take it over, baby. Well, I actually, um, don't worry, this won't be more comedy. I actually have a question that is specifically for Noah, but Kimberly will be very interested in, which is at one point, a couple of years ago, Noah, you made a book of your paintings and it's a sweet, beautiful, 
sort of almost like it's hardcover, but it's almost like a pocket. Like it's a very, uh, and it's very beautifully made. And I just was wondering like how that ended up going for you, if it helped, if you're doing it again. And obviously with Kimberly as our hostess, that's something she knows a mm. lot about. So that was my question for mm. y'all. That was done by a publishing company that my friend runs in Montreal called Antiism. And they also did Beyonce's wedding book. And they did, they've done some really wild stuff. They designed uh, like this Jeffrey Deitch area nightclub book. And they do all this like crazy, like special cutting into the covers and templating and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they have a printing press in Montreal. Ah, oh, in Janet's backyard. Well, can I get a copy of it? I have a few copies left. It, that that book company is called Antiism. Shane is uh, holding it up. That oh, there you beautiful. go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Impressive. I completely yeah. forgot that I. Wow. Does it say Antiism in there? Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's beautiful. Might say Antiism on the back. Okay. In actual. Wow, Shane, I am impressed because I didn't even remember sending you that. Wow. Somebody's living in the present um so uh now i've done this magical thing and i've created a bunch of postcards of the, the images in the book of my recent no of my recent paintings i love physical objects and that's part of the reason why the nft thing is sort of like it, we have a private community a lot of of the people in here are in it called i am an artist.net and um we have a big, it's like a Facebook just for artists. Noah, Noah I'm gonna invite you in there. But so, anyway, okay. we have a whole discussion about NFTs right now. And I oh, think yeah. Ray Elder was saying, this is just making me tired. Oh, let me see. Oh, I have a White Hot Magazine uh, clubhouse group now that I just started. So that's one of the paintings. Those are beautiful. Oh, these are great. Where do you make them? Just in Canada here, I'm in Canada for a bit. And they're just offset printed and people were just grabbing these right and left. I was just mailing out like so many postcards and I wasn't actually mailing them like a postcard. I just put them together and put them in an envelope and it's nice. And yeah. I was sending them to dealers and collectors and people I wanted to remind that I still alive. And That's a great technique. Are there any other questions for Noah? Janet in Montreal, go Hi. for it. Yeah, I just was wondering what the Canadian connection is because it's come up a few times and I noticed in your podcast list or I'm not sure where exactly, but I think I saw Kim Dorland and oh, yeah. a couple other Canadian artists. And yeah. I know James Campbell has written for your magazine. That's true. Um, well, I grew up in British Columbia on Vancouver Island where I am right now. Okay, okay. Ah. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but I was brought here by my parents and raised in Western Canada on Vancouver Island. And I've been going back and forth between Western Canada and New York for the past oh. 20 years. Oh, wonderful. Wow. Mm -hmm. Where on Vancouver Island? Victoria, British Columbia. Okay. Oh, lucky you. So any other questions? Oh, okay. Art. Hello. Kimberly. Hi. Hello. Hi. Can you talk about your, your inspiration process a little bit? Well, I thought about that and I realized that I get bored. So I have to always like think of things that are kind of new 
so that I have that feeling of discovery when I'm doing something yeah. as opposed to kind of continuing something that I sort of know is gonna happen. Sure. Like the skulls, what, 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 what inspired you to, to go in that direction? Um, I mean, it's an old kind of stereotypical thing in art, memento mori and that whole thing. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to experiment with that form and see if I could in some way expand upon it in my own sort of lexicon. I try to like suppress creativity because I have a lot of it and I can just go right off the rails and just paint a bunch of paintings and it looks like a group show. Now what I've been doing is very much like kind of sticking to a landscape and treating it like a gallery space and then the paint, whatever's in it is almost kind of like an installation. You know, as opposed to building a painting. Are you an artist? Uh, I, I am, but in, in different mediums. I'm not, I'm not so much a, a portrait artist or a painter or so, but uh, I do other stuff. NFT. Yeah, <laughs> NFT artist. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, but do you ever work, like, I'm right now working on two total, they're, they're not totally different exhibitions at once, but two series of works at once. And I'm finding that they're vibrating off each other and, making each other richer. Do you do that? I mean, I, I used to be very mono, you know, not monotheistic, although I, I guess, well, whatever, but anyway, like more mono, um, one exhibit body of work at a time. But now I find that I'm kind of working on a series of abstract and then not abstracts and there. It's kind of like working together. Do you do that? Or do you just make one body of work? I, I just make one painting at a time and hope that I can finish it. Oh, I have too much ADD. I'm making like seven <laughs> at once. <laughs> I don't, you know, sometimes I feel very um, virtuosic. Other times I feel completely at the mercy of trying to just cling on to whatever I can to get, get an, a painting out. Mm -hmm. I hear you there. I sometimes I just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to paint. I've never painted in my life and it's terrifying. Other times it's just, happens yeah i don't think that feeling ever goes away this like sometimes you walk into the studio and you're like i literally don't know what i'm doing like i don't even have the right to be here <laughs> i mean i think i think mm -hmm. when i feel that way personally that i'm doing something right like the more kind of terrified and uncomfortable i right. am or freaked out by a blank canvas the the better i'm off because i'm not I think being uncomfortable is good. I, yeah. I mean, I got to the point where I decided to make my work about nothing, deliberately just trying to make it about nothing. And the only thing I really knew is that it was a landscape with something in it. That's really interesting. Because I had so much pressure on me to try to figure out what to do. And I just kind of like got, got rid of, got rid of it rid of everything somebody's saying very Seinfeld but um that could just be the Los Angeles influence creeping in hey um, no but Larry's from New York so oh yeah. <laughs> so this is a curb your enthusiasm um so yeah I just wanted to get the content out of my work many people in here are from my master class 
which is about building a body of work. And I believe that, or when you're first making your first body of work, the, well, especially for your very first body of work, you want it to, you want to have a statement and a mission and a, you know, everything. And you need it be, be very, you want to pitch a ball that's hard and fast and in a direction, you know, but then as you become, I call painters vampires because you can be any age, but sometimes some people are older than others and whatnot. But as you become an older vampire or like a more experienced painter, and you've done many shows like that, you start to get a little looser, a little sluttier about these definitions and they start to mean less and less and less. Wouldn't you agree mm. with that? Like I yeah, maybe. feel that you, you, you run away from that pressure and you, and the art world allows you to do it. Here's the issue for me. Ray, Ray Johnson was the one that inspired me about doing nothings. Ray Johnson and Michael Morris, they were involved in, do, in making paintings about nothing. Um, and I just got to the point where I realized it doesn't matter what I do somebody's gonna have an opinion about it. I could do anything and somebody's gonna have a different reading in it than I do, different way of looking at it. And no matter how much I try to force an idea through my work, it's always gonna come out. It's always gonna be looked at differently. It's always gonna be interpreted. It's one way or the other. So I kind of wanted to make myself more of the audience and also sort of not entirely know what it was what the point was either because I was kind of tired of having this grandiose idea and then listening to a million different wrong ideas about what it was that the idea was and trying to convince all these people that it was this when they were seeing that and so I just kind of let go of my sort of feeling of of having to kind of um, have a, a hold entirely on what it was that I was doing and then, of course, just subconsciously or whatever, however else I was working, it kind of infused meaning into them. And I started to see a consistency in them that wasn't necessarily forced or illustrated. Like, I don't plan them out entirely before I make them is what I'm saying. I mean, I think that's everybody's aspiration as a painter. Yeah, but I it's very scary. Like, yeah. It's it very is. scary. It's kind of you, you against the sublime or mm -hmm. something. You against the material, you against idea, the idea of idea or whatever. And yeah, that right. was wonderful. The other thing that was interesting is that when I was at Frank Stella's studio, I started to talk to him about abstract expressionism. And then I started to realize that I was talking to Frank Stella about abstract expressionism. <laughs> And then I kind of went, okay, well, I've got my work cut out for me on this one. Because <laughs> everything he says sounds like somebody's transcribing it for a textbook. But he just talks naturally that way. I was in his studio. It's this massive airplane hangar studio. And he's sitting smoking a cigar over on this like chair near a cot or something. And there's this just like massive things you can't even imagine in this giant studio. So I walk up to him and I was, I was like, um, Hi Frank, what are these about? And he's and he says, "What are you about?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it's gonna be a long day." <laughs> uh, so he went through 
a little bit about the black, I asked him about the black paintings and he said they were about the, the repetition in Samuel Beckett. And then I had a conversation with him about starting a painting. And he said, well, you know, the, the you know, people have a tendency to want to start in the middle of the painting. And then he kind of suggested that Morris Lewis was somebody that would be good to look at because sometimes Morris Lewis paints those kind of abstract draperies from the side and doesn't even paint the middle of the painting. But he, he told me this concept that the abstract expressionists were using that he was talking about. And basically he said, you he was like, you start a painting and you, you get to a certain point and you run out of energy. And that's, and that's, and then what, what's left is what they call the leftover space. So it's like, if you have a paper boat and you push it out into a lake, whatever force you have, the paper boat might go like halfway across, slow down, slow down and stop. And so you kind of have to know when that first push with a painting has happened, as opposed to like, continuing to push the energy beyond that point. It's like, okay, I know what this is gonna be about. It's, it's been pushed to this point. I've run out of energy on this first go. And then you come back to it. And what he was trying to say is how an artist deals with the leftover space or finishes the rest of the painting is kind of what separates the really great artists from the mediocre artists is like how you arrive at that stopping point partway through and then you come back the next day and you finish it. So dealing with the leftover space and also trying to get sort of the intensity of the whole idea sort of in on the canvas or in my head up to the point where I run out of energy during the first go at it. That's if you're doing something that doesn't necessarily have a drawing that's all that, like if you're doing something that has a drawing and it's all over the canvas and you're just filling it in that's a different, that can also be a different approach. But I mean, if you're just working in a way where you don't necessarily know how it's gonna turn out, that's what I, he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny. I had this experience where I was at an artist ball thrown by LAX Art and I was sitting and talking with the late Ed Moses and he had just, we were both in this fair in LA, one of the fairs in the Barker hangar. And, I was asking him what his paintings were about. And he was like, my paintings are about nothing. And he said, you need to read Susan Sontag's essay against interpretation, you know, mm. and, which is if you haven't read it recently, it's you can download the PDF, it's so good. And I think that what you said earlier about embracing the moment that the, the, the momentum that you have in the, in the beginning part and letting go at the moment that you lose that force, letting the boat stay in the river and then leaving those spaces unpainted sometimes, or you know, letting things be exposed and sh showing the history of the painting as you build it. I think that's just a very, it takes a lot of restraint and experience and to be able to do that because it's easier to finish everything as your mind wanted to. Mm -hmm you know? Right. So I really relate to that. Yeah. So there's, there is a way to do it. It's not a complete mystery. There is a way to do it. 
I love the idea of your current paintings as sets to fill in with whatever discussions you well, want. Well, I think have. of them as, as like gallery gallery yeah. spaces. Yeah, like a gallery space. And then like take an artist like Jason Rhodes or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's seemingly random, but it's it's a kind of expressive installation, expressionist installation where you could have everything but like a bunch of cables or a bunch of whatever, just Urs Fisher is another artist that comes to mind that just mm -hmm. sort of works with that kind of a freedom that I admire. Yeah, he's amazing. All right, well, Noah, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. It's been a privilege and an honor to talk about your thank work you. and what you've accomplished and I, urge everybody to check out his podcast, which is absolutely fantastic. And he has deep, meaningful conversations with artists that I've always wanted to hear what they thought. Like I loved, I loved your interview with Shana, by the way. I mm. loved your interview with Kim Dorland. Of course, I loved your interview with me because mm -hmm. I was in it. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was just so great to have you here. And I hope you can do it again soon. Anytime. All right. All right, let's give it up. Unmute yourselves and clap. Because we need to feel the love. Woohoo! Yay! That was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. So cool. Thank you so much, everybody. All right. Bye, Noah. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye, you okay. bye -bye. Bye, guys. Get vaccinated. Get that second shot. <laughs>